I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Fifth and Mission. Childhood clergy abuse survivors in the Bay Area who have pending cases against the Catholic Church received some unsettling news this week. Many have been awaiting their day in court, but those proceedings were put on hold Monday when the San Francisco Archdiocese filed for bankruptcy. It's the third Bay Area diocese to do so, as Catholic institutions face a flood of lawsuits alleging child sexual abuse. More than 500 suits have been brought. The diocese says filing for bankruptcy is a necessary step to manage those suits and allow it to develop a settlement plan with survivors. The San Francisco Archbishop said in a statement that, quote, the archdiocese has neither the financial means nor the practical ability to litigate all of these abuse claims individually. But survivors are dismayed at the bankruptcy filing. One of them is Joey Piscatelli. It's like a sucker punch to a lot of survivors. They thought that they were going to get uh, justice. And this is not the road to justice. This is the road and path for the diocese to continue what they've been doing for decades, basically hide things. Piscatelli is a leader of the Northern California chapter of a support group called Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests, or SNAP. The organization isn't involved in any lawsuits, but some of its members are. And Piscatelli says this is frustrating for them. I think there were people who wanted to have their stories come forward. There were cases that were scheduled for court. Uh, Those have been stopped and interrupted. Chronicle reporter Sophia Bolag spoke with another survivor whose case was about to begin proceedings when the bankruptcy put it on hold and is here to explain why California has seen so many of these abuse lawsuits and several of these bankruptcies. Sophia, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. The San Francisco Archdiocese has now declared bankruptcy. This is not the first diocese in the Bay Area to do so. What reason did church officials give for this move? So the Archdiocese of San Francisco says that they determined that they needed to declare bankruptcy because they are facing roughly 500 cases of alleging child sexual abuse by priests. So these are former parishioners or students at schools that were operated by the archdiocese who say that they were abused by priests and that it's ultimately the archdiocese is liable for their abuse because they did not take appropriate actions to investigate or to remove these perpetrators when they found out about abuse. Potentially, these hundreds of lawsuits could result in many, many millions of dollars in payouts if juries find that the the archdiocese is liable or if the archdiocese were to settle with these plaintiffs. And so essentially, this bankruptcy filing pauses all of these hundreds of cases. And the archdiocese says that it just doesn't have the money or the ability to adjudicate each one individually. And so that this is what they've determined is the fairest way to ensure that victims get compensation. So what specifically happens to these lawsuits now that the diocese has declared bankruptcy? The two that were the farthest along were actually scheduled to begin trial on Wednesday. That's now not going to happen. The trial date has been called off. And those cases, just like all the other cases against the archdiocese, are stayed. They are paused as the bankruptcy proceeding moves forward. 
And the idea is that the people who have sued the archdiocese who have credible claims of sexual abuse at the hands of priests, that they will be eligible for compensation as part of these proceedings. But it's likely going to take longer for many of the people who have sued, particularly for you know, for example, the men who were scheduled to start trial on Wednesday, they were pretty far along with their cases, and now everything is on pause. Bankruptcy proceedings are pretty complicated. They're overseen by a bankruptcy court and a judge. It's not just going to be one decision. It's going to be sort of a whole proceeding. And the claims, the sexual abuse claims that are pending against the archdiocese will be, you know, a huge part of that process. But these claims aren't going to play out as like individual lawsuits in the way that they might have if the archdiocese had not filed for bankruptcy. Some advocates and attorneys are worried that this delay is going to have a pretty severe effect on the legal cases that are pending, even though, you know, this doesn't technically speaking nullify them. Why are they concerned about a delay? Many of the plaintiffs in these cases are older. One of the lawyers who's leading these proceedings told me that Three of his clients have actually died since they filed lawsuits, not in this case against the San Francisco Archdiocese, but against the Oakland Diocese, which previously filed for bankruptcy earlier this year. And so they did not, you know, see any justice or judgment. It's also just it can be very frustrating for people who have cases pending for there to be a big delay One man I spoke to who is one of the men whose trial was supposed to start on Wednesday, he told me that he waited many decades. He says he was abused when he was 11. He's now 59. And so he waited almost 50 years to come forward with his claims of abuse. And now he's going to have to wait even longer while this bankruptcy case proceeds. Several other Bay Area dioceses have also filed for bankruptcy. We'll talk about why that is after a quick break. You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Sophia, as you've mentioned, the Oakland and Santa Rosa Diocese have filed for bankruptcy as well. Are these all prompted by the huge flood of child abuse lawsuits, or are there other reasons why this is happening? Yes, the declarations that have come within the last year have all been because of this wave of hundreds of lawsuits that these dioceses are all seeing. And You're seeing this wave of lawsuits because of a state law that was passed in 2019 that it did two important things. It extended the deadline for when people can file lawsuits related to child sexual abuse. So it used to be that you were going to, you know, make allegations of sexual abuse when you were a child. You had to file before you turned 26. Now people have until they're 40 
And the second thing is it created what's called a look back window. So essentially, lawmakers determined that they decided that the law that was in place before they passed this new one really hadn't given people enough time to come forward to sue over child sexual abuse. There's a lot of evidence that people don't come forward about claims like that until much later in life. And so lawmakers decided that there needed to be an opportunity for people to file even older claims. So for people over the age of 40 to also be able to file their claims of past sexual abuse. The law opened a three-year window that lasted from the start of 2020 through the end of 2022 that basically allowed people to file claims regardless of how old they were. And that's really why you're seeing this big flood of cases now. There was particularly a rush to file right before the deadline at the end of last year. And so that's why you're seeing all these cases come forward at this time and why dioceses are declaring bankruptcy now. Let's talk a bit more about one of the people you spoke to, one of the unnamed John Doe's who has a case pending against the San Francisco diocese who was expecting his case to be heard this morning, Wednesday morning at 9.30 a.m. And now there's this bankruptcy filing, which means that everything is kind of put on pause. He's not the only person who accused the particular priest who he alleges abused him. How widespread are the allegations against that priest and and what happened to him? Yeah, so this particular priest died in 1988, but... The lawyer I spoke to said that they've identified nearly 100 victims that are attributed to this particular priest. And this John Doe alleges that other adults in the church knew he was being abused and and didn't do anything to protect him or others from the person that he accuses. Does that make his allegation and his lawsuit more significant to the diocese in some way? I would say that that is an allegation that's common to all of the lawsuits that I've seen filed under this law. Typically, the the targets of the lawsuits are institutions like schools or the archdiocese or the Boy Scouts. And the allegation is really usually that the institution, which was charged with, you know, taking care of children, knew or should have known that abuse was taking place and didn't have appropriate policies in place to either monitor the priests who are alleged to have abused kids or didn't have a policy of investigating complaints when people did come forward. And so the reason that people tend to sue institutions and not individuals is because institutions tend to have more money, especially in cases where there may have been a related criminal proceeding. Um, So these lawsuits we're, we're talking about are all civil proceedings. But in many cases, the alleged perpetrators have been charged and in some cases convicted in criminal court. And so sometimes these people are in jail. Some of them have since died. And so there isn't always a person, an individual person to hold accountable. And if there is, they don't necessarily have a lot of money that you could sue them for. But the institutions often still do exist. 
And the institutions often do have assets that you can sue them for in court in an attempt to get some money to cover your medical expenses, potentially as a result of the abuse that you've suffered. Many of these plaintiffs have problems with addiction or post-traumatic stress disorder. They need therapy and other types of medical care. And so that's often what they're suing for. And then also, you know, suing for for damages just related to the, the trauma they've experienced. And so typically it makes more sense for survivors of sexual assault to go after institutions and not just individual perpetrators. Well, Sophia, thanks so much for talking with me about this. Thanks for inviting me on. Sophia Bolag covers politics for The Chronicle. Find her story on this filing at sfchronicle.com. Thanks to Keith Manconi for producing today's episode, Cecilia Lay for editing, Gary Baca for mixing, and thanks to you for listening. 